Welcome back to Search the Scriptures. Great to be back with all of our listeners again today. Great to be back on Search the Scriptures today and be able to open up our God's Word and study a little bit deeper, a little bit further, learn a little bit more, get our thinking going, and get our spiritual minds set on God's Word and our relationship with God, on our souls, on our spiritual well-being, or lack thereof. Here on Search the Scriptures, we do exactly as the name of the program suggests. We really do dig deep. We really do look at God's Word in detail. We study the Scriptures. We don't just talk about them. We study them. We try to understand more and more fully God's will for our lives that He has communicated to us through His Word. So we want to encourage you. Think about all that we study together. Think about how it applies to your life. Think about how maybe you have not applied it as you need to. We also want to encourage you to share these studies with everybody you can. Now, encourage them to listen to the program on a regular basis as often as they can. Now, I know a lot of people cannot listen at at the times that this program airs, although it airs about five times a day, pretty much throughout the day, the evening, and at night. But Still, not everybody's schedule coincides with those particular times. So let me encourage you to do this. Encourage people to go to our website, and you can do this yourself as well. Go to our website at churchofchrist.com, churchofchrist.com. Scroll down the home page to our podcast button, click on that, and it'll take you about one minute. Now, if I can do it, (laughs) pretty much anybody can do it. About one minute to sign up for our podcasting. It is free, and it always will be free. Now, we're not after your money. We just want to help you learn God's Word better and help you get to heaven. You click on that podcast button, sign up, and then you'll receive all of these radio programs every day. Plus, all of our sermons, all of our Bible classes, and a great daily Bible study that we call Today's Bible Class. It's about 12 minutes. So a lot of people can fit that in while they're on their way to work or on their way home from work or maybe while they're eating lunch or taking a break and goes pretty quickly. Uh, Again, just a short 12-minute study or so. And so you'll get all of those automatically sent to your smartphone or computer or laptop or pad or tablet, whatever smart device that you choose. And again, it's all free and always will be free. So take advantage of that and encourage your friends to take advantage of that. Not just your friends, your family members, work associates, neighbors, anybody and everybody, literally. In so doing, you may help somebody get to heaven. Now we're going to finish up this particular section of our study on God's grace. We've looked at this in six sections now. Actually, seven sections, counting this one. And In our next section, we'll bring it to a conclusion. But right now, we're going to finish up this particular section that I've entitled, God's Grace and My Faith. We keep talking about how grace is probably easier to identify than it is to define. One of those terms, especially as related to our spiritual lives. I've talked about, I've compared it to love. How do you define love? Because people think of love, and they use the term in so many different ways. And so some people say, I really love my wife, or I really love my husband. Oh, and I love chocolate cake, too. (laughs) Well, 
you're not talking about the same kind of love there, obviously. And then there are times when we'll love our spouse or we love our children or we love our parents when they're not very lovable. Well, you see, that, again, is a different kind of love or a different expression of love. So how do you define love? Well, very difficult to put into words, but you can see love. You can see that between a husband and wife. You can see that between parents and their children and between children and their parents. You can see that in relationships that are very difficult, but still you'll see one or the other still evidencing love for that person because they're there for them and they're there with them. Well, the same thing with grace. What is grace? God's unmerited favor toward mankind. Well, that's a pretty technical definition, and it's a good definition. In other words, he extends his grace to us, his goodness, his goodness, and that would certainly include his mercy and his love and his kindness when we don't deserve it. When we don't deserve it, when we don't have it coming, when God is not obligated to give us his grace, he still extends it to us, offers it to us anyway. Now that's God's grace. And we can see that in the most classic sense in his expression of that grace in sending Christ to the cross, his son, to die as the perfect one-time-for-all-time sacrifice to pay the price for our sins, for our sins. We did not have that coming. We did not deserve that. But God did it anyway, and that's God's grace. In this particular section of our study, we've emphasized, again, how we receive the offer of forgiveness and salvation as a gift from God. Romans 6 and verse 26, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So there are both ends of the spiritual spectrum. Condemnation eternally in hell because of our unforgiven sins. But then the offer, the offer of God's grace as a gift of salvation, forgiveness, eternal life through Jesus Christ. Again, it's an offer. God does not save us in our sins. God offers to save us from our sins through Jesus Christ. And so we're saved by grace. But, again, this section, God's grace and my faith. So we must respond to God's grace through our own faith. And that's not just agreeing that we believe in God and in Christ. That's not just intellectual understanding and agreement. We must respond to God's grace through our faith in order to receive his gift. Again, how do we respond? Well, what did Jesus say in the great invitation? Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We must come to Jesus. That's an active response on our part. And we must come to him his way. Now, what did Jesus say? He said in Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 and 33, Whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. Whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father 
in heaven. Now, so we must confess our faith in Christ openly. That's an active response on our part. But that's not all that he said that we must do in response to God's offer of salvation, eternal life, through Jesus Christ, by God's grace. Jesus also said, except you repent, you'll all likewise perish. So we must also repent of our sins, and that's an active response on our part. But that's still not all. Jesus said in John chapter 14 and verse 15, if you love me, and oh, we would say, no, oh, yes, we do love Jesus. If you love me, keep my commandments. Again, John 14 and verse 15. And then he repeats that in verse 21, and then he repeats it again in verse 23 really emphasizes that to us. We must obey Jesus. In fact, John the Apostle said, whoever transgresses and does not abide in, now that is live in and live by, the doctrine of Christ, the teaching of Christ, which would include obviously the teachings by Christ and of Christ, does not have God. Whoever abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. So we must come to God through Jesus Christ, repenting of our sins, confessing our faith, and we must come in obedience. And ultimately, when Jesus sent the apostles into the world, now Jesus had already gone to the cross. He'd already died on the cross physically. He'd already been put in the tomb, so he was buried, and then he arose from that grave. He arose from that tomb, risen from the dead, alive, physically. And then he appeared over a period of 40 days to hundreds and hundreds, literally, hundreds and hundreds of individuals demonstrating that he is the risen Savior. And then he's ready to ascend back to heaven. He tells the apostles, he sends them on what we call the Great Commission. In, in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19, Matthew records his instructions, his command, this way. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Now what is a disciple? A follower of Jesus. Make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age or the world. Amen. So part of making disciples connected to it inseparably, Jesus says, is baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, some people think baptism isn't really important, maybe not even necessary. Jesus said it's part of making, him, making a person a disciple of his. And then he said, go ahead and teach them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Now, there's where observing means we're not, we're not to just notice, understand, but we're to obey. We're to live by those things that Jesus has commanded. That's obedience again. When Mark recorded Jesus's instructions in the Great Commission, in Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16, 
Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. He who does not believe shall be condemned. Now, some people, they jump on that and they say, see there, it says, he who does not believe is condemned. Don't say he was not baptized. Now, come on. Understand the principle of literature and grammar. There's a principle called synecdoche. The part stands for the whole. What was the order that Jesus said? First, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. If somebody does not believe, it stands to reason he's not going to follow through and be baptized either. When you say he who does not believe, you're understanding he's not going to follow through with the obedience, and that's baptism. Why should a person be baptized? Because when Jesus, and this is how Luke recorded the Great Commission, in Luke chapter 24 and verse 47, Jesus said that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name, repentance and remission of sins, should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. He told the apostles in Acts chapter 1 to wait in Jerusalem. And so 10 days later, it was Pentecost in Jerusalem. And the apostles were baptized with the Holy Spirit. We understand that's when the church came into full force, into power, into establishment on the face of the earth. And that day, and Peter and the rest of the apostles began to, to preach the gospel of Christ to a great multitude of Jews who had come from all over the world, the known world at that time. And boy, they did not pull any punches. They did not mince any words. They charged those Jews, the Jewish people in general, with having, with having crucified their Savior, the Son of God. In fact, in verse 36, Peter said, Let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made the same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. In other words, the Messiah, the Savior. And so many responded in verse 37, What shall we do, they asked. What shall we do? Now remember, Jesus, as Luke records the Great Commission in Luke 24 and verse 47, Jesus told the apostles that repentance and remission of sins, repentance and remission of sins, should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Ten days later, the apostles are in Jerusalem. There are Jews gathered from all the nations, all around the known world at that time. And so they ask, what shall we do? Peter said, repent Oh, Jesus said, you've got to preach repentance and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. What did Jesus say to preach? Repentance and remission of sins in his name. What did Peter respond when, he asked, when, when the apostles were asked the question, what shall we do by many of those Jews gathered that day? Repent. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Now, translation after translation after translation after translation. 
expresses that in very clear terms. Repent and be baptized in the name of Christ so that your sins can be forgiven. That's when our sins are forgiven. So how are they forgiven? That's how we contact the cleansing power of the blood of Christ shed on that cross so long ago. And that's still in effect today. Again, the Lord sent Ananias. Jesus himself sent Ananias to teach Saul of Tarsus. And Saul had been a terrible sinner, a great enemy of the church, persecutor of Christians, hunted them down, voted for many of their executions just because they were Jews who had become Christians. And so here, after he had been confronted by the Lord himself in the road to Damascus, and he wasn't saved in that encounter, Jesus told him to go into the city and it will be told you what you must do. And then Jesus sent Ananias to go tell him what he must do. So Ananias came and said, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. We must come to Jesus. We must come to God through Jesus in the way that is laid out for us in Scripture. We must repent of our sins. We must confess our faith in Christ openly. And we must surrender to him in baptism, at which point the blood that he shed on the cross cleanses us of the guilt of our sins. That is God's grace. We don't cleanse ourselves in the act of being baptized. God cleanses us through the blood Jesus shed on the cross. God's grace is what cleanses us, and that's what saves us. God's grace. Remember, Jesus said, whoever believes and is baptized shall be saved. We don't save ourselves in baptism. Through our obedience, then God extends his grace and saves us. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 3, well, first, in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, the Apostle Paul said, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. To those who are in Christ Jesus. How do we get into Christ Jesus? That's where salvation is. That's where redemption is. That's where eternal life is in Christ. How do we get into Christ? There are only two verses of Scripture in the entire New Testament that have the phrase, into Christ, preceded by the means of coming into Christ. One of those is Romans chapter 6 and verse 3. Notice what God guided the Apostle Paul to write by inspiration. This is God's very word. Do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Baptized into Christ Jesus. Now the other passage of scripture is found in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 27. And there Paul wrote, 
For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Baptized into Christ. Let me emphasize again. Those are the only two scriptures in the entire New Testament that have the phrase, into Christ, preceded by the means of coming into Christ. And in both cases, the means is baptized into Christ. Now, people who will tell you that baptism is not essential for salvation need to go back to the book themselves. You have just heard what the scriptures say. Don't let somebody try to explain that away for you. Simply obey what God's word says. You come to God through Christ for that gift of eternal life by God's grace. You don't save yourself. God saves you. But you must come in obedience. Obedience. Now, also we understand that that's just the beginning point for the Christian. Once we're baptized into Christ, once the blood that he shed on the cross cleanses us of the guilt of our sins, once we are redeemed, once we're saved, we're just baby Christians at that point. We're, start, we're coming out of the starting blocks, so to speak. We begin a brand new life in Christ. It is a life wherein we have put away the old person that was guilty of sin, and we have put on the new person, which is forgiven and redeemed and saved in Christ. Paul said in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, now, we've already seen how we get into Christ. We're baptized into Christ for the remission of our sins. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And then we begin to live the Christian life. A faithful, dedicated, consistent obedience and service. J, uh, Titus wrote in Titus chapter 2 and verse 14, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. And then in chapter 3 and verse 8, this is a faithful saying, and these things I want to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful, literally full of care, to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. When we look at that text that so many people point to about being saved by God's grace, and we have emphasized that throughout this particular study. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. No, God saves us. Even when we come to him in obedience, that we're not saving ourselves. God saves us by his grace. But now we're Christians, and we must begin to live the life of Christians. So the very next verse says, 
for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Oh, the active, faithful, dedicated, serving, working life of the Christian. God's grace and my faith put into action through obedience and good works. Let's pray. Father, please open our hearts to humble ourselves to come to you for salvation by your grace and guide us to live the life of Christianity that you would have us live, taking advantage of your grace. Praise be to you, Father. Please forgive us, gracious Father, and hear our prayer. In Christ's name, amen.